0: That's up to twenty five percent off outdoor furniture at Burrow.com slash acast.
1: Whenever I stay at a White Lotus, I always have a memorable time. Always. Welcome to the White Lotus in Sicily. La dolce You guys are here to learn about your Sicilian roots. Sounds like a fun boys' trip. Wasn't supposed to be a boys' trip. We're on a family vacation right now, and it's just the three of us, because all the women in our family hate you. Please, can we just drop it? Welcome to the Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. Be a part of the conversation as industry insiders, genre lovers, and cinephiles dare to peek beyond the curtains of imagination and dive into the art of cinema. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. Now here's your host, Armand Haddad.
0: Haj welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here. We've been talking about this for a while. Uh, I wanted you to get on. And now you're finally on. We're going to talk about uh, your singer-songwriter career. We're going to talk about your latest single, Make Me the Villain. And of course, we're going to talk about the show that inspired the song, The White Lotus. So before we get into The White Lotus, can I ask you a question? Please. What does Hodge mean?
1: So Hodge is a variation of my middle name it's kind of an alternate spelling because Hodge with a g is my middle name so I'm Maggie Hodge um but Hodge with a g was already taken by an artist on Spotify <laughs> so uh i changed the g to a j and what's kind of fun about it is for seo purposes it's it's been really good actually yeah. initially i was sad that i couldn't use you know the the authentic spelling of my middle name, but there are no other Hodges with a J for the most part, at least that I've come across. So, uh, so that's, that's been like a silver lining. Um, but the m- nice. the middle name um, comes from my great grandmother, Nina Hodge. And so she actually was one of the most musical people in my family. So it just was, um, you know, serendipitous that I was given her her name as my middle name. And uh she did, you know, Chicago theater, she toured as a singer. So I thought it would be a nice homage to her to use that name. And uh that's that's the um you know the origin story of the That's of amazing.
0: I didn't know that. Um because oh, okay. like you know, when I discovered your music your name. I was like, what the heck does, what does this mean? Is this like an anagram? Is this like an, an alias, a secret code name, but it's Mm. it's an homage to your, to your grandma. That's amazing. I I had no Mm. idea. That's so, that's so sweet.
1: Yeah. I I wish I got to know her more. Um, but sadly I, I didn't. So I just get to know her through like ancestry.com where I just search stories about her and little newspaper clippings and stuff. So, uh, she seemed like a really cool lady though.
0: That's really cool. So could you walk me through like your creative process when it comes to like creating music? Like what brought you towards like music in general? Um, Like when you're creating a song, like, like walk me through it. Like what's your creative process like?
1: The creative process is different every time. Like I, um, I think when I first started writing, like when Chelsea and I were friends in high school, who I'm sure your listeners know is your fiance and one of my best friends. Um, (laughs) She, uh, she knew me at the time when I was still, you know, teaching myself how to play piano and just really could only like do these sort of clunky boxed chords. But um, at that time, I feel like it was more lyric driven, the process. Like I'd have a, a kind of concept in mind. Like I'm pretty sure I wrote like a best friend song. <laughs> that I would sing at my friends. So and, like, a, like the
0: SpongeBob campfire song.
1: Oh, it's probably worse. I don't <laughs> remember, but I um, it was just—I think it was supposed to be sentimental. <laughs> in retrospect, super, super cringy. But, oh, uh, no. um, thankfully, I don't think anybody. You know, I don't think that was immortalized anywhere to my knowledge. So that's... You can bring it back. No, it's for, <laughs> the best for humanity. But um, I think that at that time, the, the process really was like, okay, I know basic song structure, which is verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. And then I'm going to sort of like build a narrative that makes sense, that fits within that structure. And then I'm going to do my best to fool people into thinking I can accompany myself because I can't, I couldn't really play piano, still can't play that well, but have a slightly better understanding now than I did then of how to play. And I would say now it's changed because I produce now and I feel more comfortable saying I can produce because for a while I was just, I mean, you guys heard, I would send you and Chelsea iterations of songs. And I mean, you might have even like, you know, noticed the genesis of of where I started to where I am in terms, and I still have a lot to learn and a long way to go before I would consider myself like a good producer. But now um, leaning into production a little bit more, I think the songwriting process has changed because I'm more interested in like, Okay, I really like 80s production. So, what lyrical concept is going to fit sort of like the backdrop of the song well? And, you know, what lends itself to that kind of production? I'm more interested in like synth wave sounds and just synths in general and like big tom drums and things that I really wasn't thinking about or paying attention to when I first started songwriting when I was 15. But now that I'm trying to. Pay more attention to the production elements. I'm the lyrics almost are, I wouldn't say secondary, but like they have to complement the production. And so I'm sort of leading with the production now, and then okay. the lyrics sort of follow.
0: That makes sense. It's kind of like a dance between the, all of the instruments, and there has to be a cohesion. There has to be harmonies. Yeah. They all have to work together instead of like their own separate things, doing their own separate things, and then. Just doesn't sound right
1: right if they're not you know
0: being a cohesive one single entity but i think you're being modest to everyone listening i saw you perform a headline show at the house of blues and it was an awesome performance and you were singing and playing piano at the same time so i think you're doing a great job thank you so i have to ask um when it comes to like i guess what are you more comfortable with like um doing more of the production side in the studio or doing a live performance?
1: I don't have a band. So that's that's something that sort of uh, gets in the way of booking live shows. At this point, I probably could just literally use my computer and like a drum machine and then <laughs> dance around by myself on stage. And I, I probably would have fun doing that. Um, but I think... You know, my natural inclination is probably more like being in, you know, my safe space, which is my home and creating things by myself and like kind of uh, diving more into the act of creating itself versus performing. And I do have a love for performing, but I think it's just, it's just different now. I think when I was a kid and I was like a ham and I really didn't, you know, I hadn't really develop self-awareness yet or any kind of self-consciousness it was like just it was just fun you know it was like look at me I'm singing and then now (laughs) it's you know as an adult it is it is really fun to do it um but it's different I think I think the most rewarding part for me is is making the songs and I had a producer that I worked with like I don't know, like six years ago, maybe at this point, who said, I, he said to me, I, I could see you doing something like, um, and I feel weird even. This was
0: Jack Antonoff, right?
1: <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, Armand. Um, no, this was, this was a producer who he was trying to help me. He, he ended up being a really good, um, kind of teacher for me and watching him produce definitely taught me a lot about production itself so um he he had said that uh there's an artist named Enya who basically like lives in a castle yeah it is (laughs) um she's fantastic she lives in a castle and she just really like does her own thing and she um she is more of a creator I think than a performer and she really like from my understanding so um, don't quote me, but just, you know, from what he was telling me, like, she, she basically hangs out in her castle, kind of performs <laughs> as she pleases. And I think I'm imagining she survives or not survive. She thrives. She lives in a castle. She's, she thrives off of, um, what I imagine to be sync placements. Cause a lot of her songs are in really iconic advertisements or tv shows and that's sort of like the avenue i'm interested in going down so whenever i talk to a third-party music entity the questions i'm asking are often like you know is, is sync placing your artists kind of high on your priority list because it, that's high on mine just because i think it it works better with where i am in life now and probably just my personality to to not rely on performing as a way of kind of growing my presence as an artist, but more so that, um, sync placement route.
0: That makes sense. So how does that lead into your latest single? Make me the villain, which I do have to say is probably your best work so far that I've listened to.
1: Thank you, Armand. Um, so how does that lead into, well, I guess for this project that I'm working on now, which is an EP, um, which should have been done a while ago, I did lose all my songs on my last laptop. It got water damage, oh, I didn't back up the God. computer, <laughs> it was a horrible rookie mistake to not back up all the songs.
0: Oh, shit. So I lost
1: them all. So I've been remaking a lot of them. And this one actually. Is this is
0: Maggie's version.
1: <laughs> um, They were all technically, <laughs> but this is like Maggie's version trying uh, harder not to. Can I cuss on this? Yes. Trying harder not to be a dumbass and like actually back up, back up the songs in in Dropbox and places where I can retrieve them if I uh, have any <laughs> laptop problems again. Um. So, so make me the villain. Actually, is not a remake. There's a couple songs that I'm doing that are remakes, but this one, I, I had this concept in mind for an EP, which was like basically the exploration of of how you know, people's perspectives of us, like we're the same person, but people's perspectives of us can be so vastly different, you know, based on their experience with us, based on what they're going through at that point of point in time in their life, what we're going through. And I feel like for most of us, if we, you know, have stood for something in life, or if we've stood up for ourselves, or done something that, you know, has inevitably been polarizing like even just saying your opinion can be polarizing then we can be villainized in another person's story and um right I think for myself um I don't know if it's just you know being raised as a woman I obviously can only speak to my own experience but I think there's such an emphasis that the world puts on uh women to be like polite and to be likable and to be you know pleasing to people um and i think for me as a young person the idea of being disliked was like so painful like as a kid you know you just of course you just want everybody to like you and it just feels so like crippling when you know that somebody doesn't but it's you know like this inevitability like looking back it's like i mean that's just that's life you know that yeah that's just human um so i think um in this song i was thinking specifically about divorce and i've never been married um i have had friends who've gone through divorces um and even you know or even just like separations in any kind of relationship like a friendship um you know any significant relationship that ends in a way that is painful um where you have to come to terms with the fact that the other person's perspective of you is not positive or it's not you know um they're not looking at you through rose colored glasses anymore they're looking at you as like someone who has had what, a, you know, like some untimely relationship end with them. And right. there's a, there's a decent chance that you are not kind of assigned a positive character role in their life story, you know? Right. And so there's sort of like this piece. I am not Of course I'm not like advocating for people to go out and, and try to, you know, be villainized or be shitty to other people just for the hell of it but but I think there's something freeing about just accepting like if I stand up for myself in life if I ask for what I want in life if I if I share my opinion um and another person doesn't like it and if it's you know like a fundamentally difference fundamentally different enough opinion to theirs that it causes the relationship to end there might be this sort of like inevitable characterization of of being, you know. I mean like if not the villain like just not, you know, a wonderful character in their in their story anymore when you guys part ways and yeah. that's okay. Like there's something that's i think um comforting and just accepting that that's just part of life sometimes and it's very natural and it's okay. And that's what the song was about, to me.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because, like, we want everyone to like us. We want. We don't want to cause waves, but you know, that's not how life works. And we're always the villain to someone's story. Maybe we're not the big V, but we're definitely a little V. <laughs> yeah, you know? hopefully
1: not the big V.
0: Yeah, <laughs> small V. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I could see why. I mean, the same thing for me growing up. It's like, I don't want to be cause it's, it's almost, you're made a pariah in, at that point. Cause like you're working on these relationships with your peers and you don't want to cause anything to make everyone notice you in a bad way type of thing. So, but to embrace it and to be like, you know what? I'm not gonna, it's, it's kind of like, I don't care of what other people think of me in a way. It's like, mm-hmm. It's kind of like this self-respect type of thing. It's like, I'm not going to go out and people please everybody because eventually I'm not going to be pleasing myself. I'm going to be left out of the story. So it's like, if I'm a villain to some people, so be it, but I'm also a hero to hopefully many more people, you know?
1: That would be cool. But yeah, I think it's, that's a good way to put it. I feel like it's, um, it's just, like you said, we don't. Nobody wants to be the big, the big, the big big V, um, not, not about that life, but I think, yeah, especially as we grow and change as people. And like you said, if you, if you don't kind of put what you believe and, and like, you know, your own values first in a way and like lead with them, um, you're not going to, to feel good in inside like like you there's a way to probably be like mostly universally liked. like if you never shared your opinion or you never really stood up for anything that you believed in um but that you're not
0: being true to yourself at that point
1: right and and i feel like you know as someone you know who who was a kid who struggled with that who like you know when i was in middle school i was i was bullied um quite a bit and then so i think in my next sort of phase of schooling, I just didn't want to experience that anymore. I just wanted to be liked. And so I was very scared to say anything that would be polarizing or cause people to not like me. And, and it, it didn't feel good internally. Like it, I, I wanted to stand up for what I believed in, but I was also like 14 and probably didn't really know what I believed in at that point anyway, but it, <laughs> about what I thought I, you know, you think, you know, everything when you're when you're a tiny but um <laughs> but yeah i think that um the biting my tongue method at least for me just didn't it wasn't um sustainable
0: no cuz cuz when you don't truly express yourself especially like your opinions and stuff to like your peers you'll feel like the other you know maybe mm-hmm. not like the villain but it's like oh i should have said something it's kind of like you're lying
1: Yeah, it is. It is. And I think you're lying to yourself. I think we've got to give people grace. Like, like I was saying, when you're young, you don't necessarily, I feel like you you don't have the perspective to have, you know, fully formed opinions yet, even though maybe you think you do. So it's, you know, on one hand, it's okay to like, sit back and absorb and just listen and then decide what you, what you, you know, resonate with what, you think aligns with your own moral compass. But, um, I think at least at this point in life, like when I think about this song, when I think about, you know, people I know who have gone through like very significant separations, um, it's, I feel like there's a lot of, um, maybe not a lot, but like when you're in a partnership or a marriage, or you feel like you have to maybe like shrink yourself or like kind of turn off certain parts of you that you don't feel are compatible with the other person. Or maybe they don't like like them very much or, or don't express that they accept those parts of you. You end up sort of assimilating to sort of like what they want you to be versus who you actually are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think the hook of this song is make me the villain and set me free. So there's some there's something freeing about. Accepting like, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, deemed as a shitty character in this person's story, but I'm, I'm going to be free to be myself after this. Like, I don't have to do that anymore where I have to like kind of dull myself down or cut off parts of myself anymore.
0: Yeah. Make me the villain. Yeah. I'll fucking kill it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's my mom's. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It okay. kind of sounds
0: like Kate Bush if you're going for that 80s Really? Synth wave. Okay.
1: I love that.
0: Because I've been listening to her album with you know, Running Up That Hill.
1: I know. Uh, I love that it's really having its you know <laughs> resurgence, revival moment right now.
0: Yeah, like your song is very, very synthy. And you're on the right show because that's all the music we play on here. I oh, love that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I feel like for a long time um, when I would try... Pitching to playlists and stuff, they would say to me, "Your voice is like sounds kind of like old fashioned. Like it's not really like pop enough. We don't really feel like you fit here." And so, in sort of like um trying to channel the eighties elements in the songs, I I feel like it's in in my head, kind of my way of trying to lean into it a little bit more, like lean into this like quote unquote um, kind of old school voice that i have um and seeing if if the retro style production complements that a little bit better
0: i think it does thank it totally you. does
1: thank you you're
0: gonna be a synthwave star
1: oh wow <laughs> You're gonna be
0: working with the midnights
1: oh my gosh we can only dream
0: yeah we can only dream but we talked about like the themes of your song "Make Me the Villain," which yeah. you know, it's about divorce, uh, being a villain, <laughs> deceit. <Nice. laughs> yes. So, uh, when I approached you on coming onto the podcast, we talk about film and TV, mm-hmm. and you said that White Lotus season one specifically influenced your song.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I watched season one, I watched season two, <laughs> <laughs> and I listened I like to your that. song, and I'm like. I could kind of see it. It's, it's definitely the subtext. Like yeah. how, how did the show influence your music? How, how did it inspire you to write this song?
1: Well, I think the concept of the song came before I saw this show, but the show definitely helped me fill out and finish the song. Gotcha. So, um, so the idea with the EP that I'm making is like the exploration of different perspectives you know, like, like I was saying how we can be assigned these different character roles based on people's experiences with us. And I had the idea of like, okay, um, I want a song that's about, um, basically a woman, the protagonist, the singer of the song feeling okay about being like unlikable, feeling okay about, um, being sort of free to be who she is, uh, And breaking out of the the confines of a relationship that she's in in order to do that, um, even if it ends up villainizing her in the end. And then I saw White Lotus and um, I believe the characters' names are Rachel and Shane, uh, does that the journalist
0: right? and the Be, trust fund kid yep, yep, turned yep. adults.
1: <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, I think Shane is like definitely one of the most unlikable characters on that <laughs> on that uh, yes. season in particular. Although there are a lot of unlikable characters, but um, he, the writer, um, I think Mike White is that his name? Yeah, I believe that's his name. He does a really good job of making you invested in the characters, even though they're unlikable. Um, and with the Rachel and Shane relationship. I think I re- I remember watching this and f- being like, okay, this is going to help me finish this song because I've never, you know, like I said, never, never been married, never been through divorce. But, um, but here's, here are these two characters that are kind of, I feel like um, Rachel, the character who is sort of grappling with, I think probably like, enjoying aspects of her relationship with Shane that provide this sort of like luxe lifestyle and these, you know, extravagant vacations and such, but also wanting to be her own person and not really feeling like there's space for her to be that in the relationship with him. And It's like this
0: tug of war between like, I want to be my own person and like create my own career, set my own path. And then she married a guy who... (laughs) had everything given to him. Yeah. He's like the definition of like privilege. Yes. yes. And he's like, why do you want to work? Yeah. Even his mom is like, oh, honey, you don't want to work.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I feel like she's just, you know, like sitting back and sort of feeling like, what have I done? It's like the arrested development thing. Like I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> um. Exactly. Yeah. And you can see that in her. And un- should we share spoilers on the? How does that work for you guys?
0: How about this? So let's get into season one. Can you give me like a brief synopsis of like what season one is all about? Like, where are we? Like, what's like, what's the whole thing? Like, what's the White Lotus all about, Maggie?
1: All right. You're going to have to help me with this. I'll help you. Let's do I'm, it. I told Armand it's been a couple months since I've watched. Um, The White Lotus is a vacation spot and it's in Hawaii right
0: yeah it's like an all-inclusive resort uh, the yes. White Lotus in Maui Maui Hawaii
1: yes that sounds yeah. right um and basically the plot um follows a lot of different storylines at once so we've got the Rachel and Shane one which is the one that I sort of like honed in on to help me um finish out the make me the villain song um, and then we have this family, um, the names are going to be hard for me to remember, but, um,
0: doesn't really ma- matter. Connie Britton it's, is
1: one of them. The actress Yes. Connie she's Britton. the mom.
0: Uh, yeah. Like her family, like imagine a family. I'm going to make a Chicago reference from like, I don't know, Winnetka, Lake Forest, Naperville, yeah. a more yeah. affluent family. Like mm-hmm. she's like self-made CEO, like. On the top 10, like tech women mm-hmm. uh, type of thing. And what's interesting with White Lotus is all these, the majority of the characters on the show come from different aspects of like privileged backgrounds. Like mm-hmm. we have Shane who, like I said, tongue in cheek, trust fund kid turned adults. Then we have uh, Connie Britton's character, uh, the mom of this family. She's like the breadwinner. She's the mm-hmm. CEO of this huge company. Mm-hmm. And then we have who else is in this?
1: We have Armand.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. We have me. <laughs>
1: we have Armand, <laughs> he's the general manager
0: of the resorts. Uh,
1: yeah, he is. He's um,
0: God, he's a guy.
1: He, he was so well cast for that role, that <laughs> actor. He did a really phenomenal job, I thought. Yes. Um, who else is in it? There's definitely more. I don't know um, why it's a struggle to think about.
0: Oh my god! We're, <laughs> the Jennifer Coolidge.
1: Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> how can we forget? Literally the best part of the show. <laughs> oh my gosh! And the
0: absent-minded billionaire.
1: She provides levity to that show in a way that it so needed. I feel because like a lot right. of the subject matter's pretty heavy, but she's just there and just being herself yeah. the character's just being her i don't know like i the i don't Weird. know if I, yeah just like <laughs> kind of in her own world oblivious at times like just sort of like inadvertently um destructive in her privilege yes. like when she's talks about funding a project for um the woman gosh her name the names are just escaping me, I should probably pull up the... Belinda. um, She's
0: this masseuse at the spot. Yes,
1: yes, yes. So I feel like even Jennifer Coolidge, who provides so much comedic relief, like is an unlikable character itself. So... Right. uh, In her kind of ignorance and sort of um, selfishness. So it's a really interesting show. And what's so interesting to me about it is like, again, just how unlikable the characters are and yet how invested I still became in the show.
0: It's kind of like a car crash yeah. or like a train wreck. Yeah. It's like, I shouldn't look, but I'm interested. And like, it's so juicy and mm-hmm. messy. It's like, yeah, what is happening? Because like with the White Lotus, it's kind of like a peek into a world that not a lot of people peer into because like, I love season one so much um, because, like, it's a peek into. I keep on saying it, privilege, because, mm-hmm. like, it's very apropos that you would set this in an all-inclusive resort where ninety percent of people that are going there are affluent because mm-hmm. it's like super expensive to go. So mm-hmm. it's like when Mark, when Mike uh, White wrote this, it's like he was tapping into something interesting. It's like we have this setting. And then we're looking at these people that are privileged to the point where they're out of touch with reality. We have like the comedic element with like Jennifer Coolidge, where she's like, she's not eccentric weird. She's just like, I don't even know how to describe it.
1: I would say she's eccentric weird. <laughs> but in a, in a way that is like kind of endearing at times. And then other times it's like very off-putting, you know.
0: It's like like, like what you just said, like she didn't know how to express herself. Mm-hmm. to people like gratitude like she got this really awesome massage by belinda in the spa mm-hmm. and like her form of like gratitude was like saying stuff that she shouldn't have like mm-hmm. you know you're so great i want to f- we should go into business together <laughs>
1: yeah yeah we got
0: her hopes up it's like oh god this is my ticket out of here
1: and i'm sure on some level it's like that self-gratification that she's feeling of of doing something that jennifer Coolidge's character would probably be viewing as like altruistic you know like i'm gonna do something good for another person so um that will feel good but then i feel like once it's not convenient for her anymore or once it's just like not really something that's she decides is gonna actually be rewarding to her because she gets distracted with all these other things going on in her world then she's kind of like oh well you know, I just don't I don't think I don't remember the reason she gave exactly, but it basically
0: She didn't give her
1: reason. <laughs> she didn't She's give a like, reason. That's oh, why I don't remember.
0: You know. That, never
1: mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what <laughs> That's a good impression. Yeah. Uh it's it's just like the the selfishness of these characters is so so frustrating to watch. Um but it's like It's just like you said, it's a really interesting world that he's tapped into where you can see these white affluent people um, really making decisions based on the well-being of themselves and not and being pretty reckless with with everyone around them and not really thinking about how their decisions are affecting people who aren't in their own demographic.
0: Right. It's like a varying degrees of selfishness Mm -hmm. going on
1: yeah that's true. There are some especially awful characters that are probably well a lot of them are a lot of them are pretty pretty bad. I feel like most of them are
0: most are of the bad. characters in this show are not good people. It's not the vast and season minority. two
1: season two reaches new heights. I feel like uh, <laughs> shitty but um shocking in, heights I know I know um yeah, I'd be curious to hear. Because you just watched it. I, I watched these a while ago, so I feel like they're not as fresh in my mind, but I did have um I did have opinions about season two, but I don't know if you want okay. to keep talking about season one.
0: I, I have a couple of things to talk about with season one. Uh because like we talked about Jennifer Coolidge's character. We we brushed upon the family because like there's really two families that are like the, the core meat of this uh first season, which is Connie Britton's family. Mm -hmm. It's her father, son, daughter, and then the Mm -hmm. daughter's friend. And then we brushed upon, you know, uh, Alexandra Daddario's character, Rachel and Mm -hmm. Shane. Mm -hmm. Uh, But with Connie Britton's family, um, what's interesting is because, like, you know, they have their whole dynamic where they're like, I don't know, not like this, I don't know, matured uh, marriage where... Mm. serious shit went down in the past yeah, but they yeah. kind of like paved it over but it's getting like rehashed <laughs> yes. and like the the skeletons are coming out of the closet again on vacation of course right what I okay what I love about this show like I don't know about you but like when you go on vacation it's like it's going to be perfect you want it to be perfect you
1: want it to be yeah
0: and it's never perfect and it's like
1: oh god
0: why isn't this going it's like what's well, easier when you go on vacation just be like you know what It's going to go bad.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's true. There will be troubles in paradise no matter what.
0: Yes. Uh, But with her family, what's interesting is, so we have Sydney Sweeney. Like She's the daughter of Connie Britton. But what's interesting is Sydney Sweeney's friend. Uh, I think her name's Paula. Mm. Is that her name?
1: It sounds right. Again, my memory's really bad with the names of the characters. Yeah, Paula. Okay.
0: What's interesting about Paula, because so, like, they're college age. They met in college. And what's interesting about her is, like, she's so... It's kind of... How do I describe it? Um. Ironic. Because, like, she complains about all the privileged people she's on vacation with, yet she also has privilege. Because she goes to college... She's in college, first of all. That that automatically makes you like pretty privileged. And like she's talking to one of the locals. She's got the hots on from one of the local guys. He works at the hotel. He's a Hawaiian. And he tells a story where it's like, you know, like my family owned this land for generations. And this hotel came. And even though it was ours and we weren't going to sell, the Hawaiian government's uh kind of like eminent domain it's like they took it from us and there's nothing we could do about it like we had a contract and they just didn't care and paula's reaction to that wrongdoing was like you know what you should do you should steal from the family that i'm on vacation with because Mm. their bracelets alone are like hundreds of thousands of
1: dollars Mm -hmm.
0: and it's like you're trying to write a wrongdoing with another wrongdoing.
1: Right. And like right. he was
0: a great guy and yeah. it's kind of like she pushed him to doing something that he wouldn't do. I thought that was really surprising. I didn't expect that at all. Like out of all the people, it's like, Right. Oh, she's, I'm not going to say the big V, but she's <laughs> one of the small V's.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think um, it's, she, like you said, she does have some privilege from you know having a college education but i think she does not have the same level of privilege that you know she's experiencing with this friend of hers although it's not like they kind of are frenemies it seems like they have a very right interesting friendship she's
0: still on the outside she's like on the inside but the outside of the inside and
1: like i feel like it it made sense to me that she would you know feel very angry looking at you know her friend and her friend's family um who are these affluent white people with immense privilege and are all kind of oblivious to um the kind of precipitory effects that come from white people um you know like stealing land right from native populations and really like they don't really think about that right like even i feel like they might touch on it briefly and be like yeah it's bad but like they this show I think does a good job of making white people cringe at other white people expressing their privilege in ways that's just so hard to watch and then like I feel like the inclination is to be like oh like but I'm not that bad like I wouldn't say that I wouldn't do that but it's also like we all have benefited from from white privilege in different ways and i think that this show it is it does a good job at, at making white people confront the fact that that we've benefited from our privilege um right and i think uh for paula watching all of this kind of go down and watching this sort of best friend kind of frenemy friend uh, Experienced this great vacation with her family while sort of being oblivious to how um, negatively the native people on that land have been affected by other white families kind of capitalizing off of their their labor and their beautiful um, landscape is probably pretty infuriating for her. I would imagine, like In a given
0: month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
1: I think, like she said to Sydney Sweeney's character, who I also forgot her name. Uh, Olivia. Thank you. She said to Olivia like, this is your tribe, like, that's your tribe, you know, at some point when they're having their kind of falling out, she was like, uh, Sydney Sweeney's character is like, I'm not like them. I'm not like them. And Paula's like, no, that's your tribe. And
0: yeah, it's kind of like, like what you said earlier, like molding yourself to fit the other person. So they like you more. And like Sydney, Sydney's character is like trying to do that with Paula, Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? Yes, yes exactly um and so i think paula sort of sees through it and i think that's what ultimately leads her her sort of like disdain for for the um apathy that this family that this um you know rich white family is uh exhibiting i think is what leads her to push kai that's the right name right um, i remember yeah. his name. Okay. Yeah,
0: the, the worker. I just want
1: to make sure I remember the character name right. But yeah, I I think that's what led her to push him to to steal the bracelets is she felt like, you know, here are all these families like s- stealing land and getting away with these really like um kind of shitty uh what's the word I'm looking for? just like
0: reciprocity getting, like they stole like, your stuff like you steal yeah. their stuff it's it's like it's like, a,
1: it's like yeah it's like they've done this horrible thing so why would we not be able to do do it a back. horrible thing back and somehow like level the playing field which um
0: doesn't solve anything
1: no and just it's a like a bigger mess yeah unfortunately it leads Kai was one of the most likable characters too
0: he was totally innocent
1: yeah he really he just was liked a great Paula. Character. And, and we Paula don't even was like
0: you know what you could get off this island you can yeah. hire a great lawyer to fight this battle for you in the legal system just commit a crime yeah it's like uh and he was even he even had reservations he was like okay I'll do it he's like oh, okay kind of like not forced to do it but like he was strongly encouraged to do it. it's like
1: oh yeah that was And she
0: regretted it which was oh, an awesome sure. thing to she see did at the end.
1: she did and i think um i saw a criticism of the show was that you didn't really see like the fallout after kai got caught like you we literally the last shot we get of him was him i think they like blur the screen kind of and yeah. he fades away as he's running off with the bracelets and then you hear that he was arrested Um, and I saw that that was a criticism of the show is like, why didn't we get to see more of his storyline play out? And I think, and I don't think I'm the only person who thinks this, but like, I think that was intentional on Mike White's part because he wanted to show that there are all of these, like with the focus on the privileged white families Mm -hmm. once it's like an out of sight, out of mind thing. They're not, it focuses in on them because they're not thinking about what happened to Kai they're not thinking about you know the consequences of of anything really outside of their immediate reality so we don't see what happened to Kai because they're not thinking about it and I think so that was like I think that was like a cinematic intentional kind of decision based on Mike's like kind of like it meta has commentary. To be. Yeah. Because it
0: is ambiguous. And it's kind of like, it doesn't really matter. Like, was he caught? Did he turn himself in? Did he go to jail? Did they let him off the hook? Like, we don't really know what happened to him. but That's not the point. The point is, how the family react to it? And how they react to it was like, they're they happy didn't. they got their stuff back. Yeah, they
1: didn't react at all. Like, they didn't
0: care about him. Why yeah. would they care about him? And that's like the perfect illustration of like, the hotel uh i don't know the white man coming in and stealing the land it's like yeah. it's the perfect exemplification of that it's like they don't care about the natives they don't care no. about the people that live there They right. just care about themselves and their own stuff and right. their own
1: problems right exactly exactly so yeah that was a that was a hard hard ending to watch just because i feel like kai was a, a character that everybody was it was easy to get um invested in him because he was one of the only likable ones,
0: yeah, I like the son too, even though he oh, was like super true. awkward,
1: yeah, yeah, that's true he was and and the end the ending we can talk about the ending, right, yeah, of course, where he runs away. <laughs> That was wild. That was a. <laughs> it's what? a move. It was a move. And it, But his yeah. tribe
0: wasn't his family. Yeah, his tribe he did not feel
1: like he belonged with not his family. At all. He
0: just wanted to play his video games and and then he started experiencing nature because Hawaii is beautiful. Mm. And then he got like brotherhood out of like yeah. the native people, like yeah. rowing their boats. He was like, I want to be like them. And he ran away to join them. That's pretty ballsy.
1: And, and like, the him. family doesn't notice, right? Like, they don't really notice that he nope. did that. They get on the plane, and, like, I think that's also, yeah, just a, just more um, commentary on just how self-absorbed yes. a lot of these people are.
0: Self, Yeah, self-absorbed. Uh, he's in the shadow of, I guess, like, his parents in a way. The kids mm-hmm. are really in the shadow of their parents. Like, yeah. they're both reacting to it differently, uh, the son and Sydney Sweeney's character. Cindy Sweeney character is kind of catty, yeah, mean, and like and that uh, age
1: of of character I feel like is appropriate. A, yeah, it's a realistic <laughs> depiction, of probably of like how are they, how old? Are they supposed to be like fifteen or something?
0: I, they're in college, so oh my bad, late, late, late teens, teens, early twenties.
1: So. Okay, so a little older, but yeah, that they did a good job um, making her seem like a a realistically like kind of. A catty, catty young person with a lot of emotional problems that she's sort of like letting manifest in some really detrimental ways to her, right? Her friendship and herself.
0: They made him sleep in the closets.
1: No, oh, that was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was wild.
0: Made him sleep outside.
1: <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, as like I used to be mean to my little brother, um, and I feel guilty about it now as a, as an adult.
0: Are you Sydney Sweeney?
1: I probably was Sydney Sweeney <laughs> when we were uh, when we were kids, and you know, he was just at the time my annoying little brother. Probably till the age of like fourteen, I felt like that. But um, he, he I knew it was bad when I start, was thinking to myself, like, okay, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. I feel like I would have been very concerned if my brother was sleeping outside, even when I was like a really shithead, like twelve-year-old being mean to him. I don't think. I would have felt okay about letting him you sleep a outside. Well, I don't know if, if, I mean, it probably wasn't like good enough at that time because I was still mean to him, but I feel like there was a line and like having it him was, sleep outside <laughs> would have been o- over the line for me, which is when I was like, all right, if my, if me at 12 would have thought that was bad, then that, that's a sign.
0: It's a sign. And
1: that's a sign. It was, that's pretty messed up.
0: Yes. Oh my God. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much season one in a nutshell. I mean, there's things that we haven't talked about it, but like that was like the meat of uh, season one. I loved it so much. And with there's season, so
1: much in there. It's very dense, I feel like. With six episodes,
0: plot. yet it's so dense. And it's like mm-hmm. each one is like, you get tired. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. I'm exhausted. It was so good. Next. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah that's true.
0: Um, with season 2 which i did not expect so like season 1 was this awesome exploration into privilege mm-hmm. all different types of privilege mm-hmm. and with season 2 i thought it was going to be kind of the same thing mm. it's exploration into infidelity so it's like a different yeah. aspect it- of relationships with other people it's like mm-hmm. it's like privilege is like uh you it's like interpersonal Mm -hmm. Like with other people. And then with infidelity, it's like within your own family type of thing. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's like it's people that are closest to you instead of like people around you, type of thing.
1: Like hurting the people closest to you, you mean kind of. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's that seemed to be a theme in this next season. Did you like one more than the other?
0: I did.
1: Can I guess?
0: We can get off the fence early. So I'm going to ask you, let's talk about season two first.
1: Yeah, let's talk about season two. I will say I like season one way more than season two. All right. And you're, okay. I agree. All right. All right. That's what I figured. I feel like that's the consensus. It's
0: two different. It's truly two different animals. Like they're both good in their own regards. But like what made the White Lotus so interesting to begin with was it was set in an all-inclusive resort those are expensive
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's like you ha- it, it sets the bar to a certain type of uh clientele to get mm-hmm. in yeah. privileged people after yeah. people mm-hmm. and we have this whole story like oh let's explore privilege in a resort that's amazing and it's like when you think yeah. it's so like idyllic and like paradise and then you look at the people far from it they're all yeah. <laughs> they all have problems and it's like yeah. it's this awesome concept and then with season two same thing. It's in uh, Sicily, White Lotus brand uh, resorts, and we have families that are are couples mostly that have issues, mm-hmm. and the okay. privilege theme takes a backseat. It's more mm. of the relationships take the forefront, and it's like I wasn't expecting this, but I'm mm. on board. You know,
1: I think I think you're right. I think the privilege thing is, though, it's still there because even if you think about with, and again, the character names are gonna be rough for me. It's definitely, too, it's
0: definitely in the car, just <laughs> in the back seat.
1: <laughs> it's in the car, in the back seat. But like even Ethan, um, who is one of the, I would say, like primary characters. Yeah, and I'm in
0: opera Plaza. The,
1: yeah with with audrey plaza and but who's the um the guy he's very good looking but he's like he's like <laughs> theo james, uh, james cameron
0: and his uh cameron wife. cameron
1: yes yes so cameron um douchebag <laughs> yeah totally douche. more
0: than shane um,
1: like shane's like a different yeah type of exactly that's when you know it's bad when shane looks good by <laughs> but um yes. cam cameron i feel like they have a, a bit of a weird like um peacocking going on where like cuz even clearly came into success it seems like he has like surpassed cameron in terms of monetary yeah. success. It's and like then, a nerdy
0: guy and I don't know he got big and yeah company where it, it doesn't really matter it's just he is more successful than his friend who was initially super successful.
1: Right. And now it's like I feel like in order to kind of um assert dominance or like try to um yeah just like assert his power over Ethan um Cameron sort of like compensates in other ways for having less money he like tries to dominate Ethan in in different ways whether that's like going after his wife or sort of like flaunting his lifestyle to Ethan um it is it's interesting Ways of like trying to it's a, it's again it's like kind of an iteration of like trying to get even um like yes, in other using other avenues,
0: yeah, it's I don't know how to describe it uh peacocking is a great way to describe it though, yeah, because it truly is it's like Ethan is pretty meek, you mm-hmm. know he's yeah. he's not he's not very flashy right he's he's very to himself, he's like a like a nerd, and like Cameron is kind of like a bro, mm-hmm. you know, so
1: he's like a brat star like that personality <laughs> that's that's the energy I get from Cameron,
0: yes, like oh my God, and like it's very interesting because like I feel so bad for Ethan, but like he did even though he had his shortcomings right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's like he set into motion the rest of the vacation, because like, let' let's get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, Ethan's friend Cameron regularly cheats on his wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the implication. Yep. And he hooked up with two prostitutes that are really important characters in the story. Yeah. And Ethan was present. One of the the prostitutes tried to do stuff Mm -hmm. with Ethan, and Ethan was like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, no. And when Aubrey Plaza confronted Ethan after finding a used condom wrapper,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: she was like, what happened last night? He lied by omission.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. He didn't
0: didn't divulge the full story.
1: And he broke her trust by doing that.
0: Yes. Because when you build trust, it's like everything's good. Like you can have like a hundred actions that are really like good. Mm-hmm. One lie disrupts everything forever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Because it's like, I thought I could trust you. Well, what right. else is a lie? Is anything else a lie? And that's right. what happened to Ethan. Because mm-hmm. even though he didn't really do anything,
1: mm-hmm.
0: he still didn't come clean, wasn't honest.
1: Right. He lied, he lied right. to
0: cover his friend. And it's all his
1: friends' fault. It's both of that. I mean, like, I think
0: he kinda like pushed him into that situation type of
1: thing. He definitely did, but I think um His gosh, reaction
0: wasn't good. His
1: reaction wasn't best. I think Chelsea and I talked about this actually. Like, I think, you know, he could have just left. Like he could have he could have gone somewhere yes. else. He could have done better than what he did, even though he didn't, you know, like ultimately he didn't do anything as egregious as what Cameron cameron did but um he could have taken himself out of the out of a situation that was precarious and could have you know and sort of like led to i feel like him having all these guilty feelings because he knew i feel like he kind of knew that it was messed up what was happening and it was messed up that he was there and like not really participating but like on the out on the outskirts of it Whereas I feel like if he had just removed himself from that situation um, and like just gone elsewhere, he probably wouldn't have felt as guilty. And he might have had an easier time just saying to his wife, like, like, listen, Cameron came back with these two girls. I don't know what happened. I left the room, you know, like he would have felt more.
0: He had above. the perfect opportunity to do so because like Aubrey Plaza, after talking to Cameron's wife, Daphne. Mm hmm she revealed like that he does stuff sometimes. And like yeah. her reaction to that is like, Oh, then now it's my turn to do stuff. Yeah. To make me feel good. You do what you have to do to feel good. Yeah. And, uh, Aubrey Plaza's character telling that to Ethan, mm-hmm. Ethan had the perfect, I'd be like, you know what? Speaking of, you know, the other nights, that's what happened. Yeah. He yeah. cheated on his wife and one of the prostitutes tried to kiss me.
1: hmm.
0: Boom. He would have been in the clear. <laughs> He Would right. have been in the clear,
1: right? Because it's like, but he, he didn't, didn't do that. He didn't do anything wrong, so he should have just, yeah, he should have just been honest with her, and that that trust would have probably still been intact. Um, but I think that this show really explores like the fallibility of humans, and so it made sense that they had to, you know, chip away at what seemed to be a strong couple at you know the onset, but slowly sort of deteriorated over time under yes. the circumstances.
0: Oh, poor Ethan. Especially at the, the, the last few episodes because like Aubrey Plaza Harper, she was um, justifiably pissed off because yeah. like she didn't know what what was true and what wasn't true and like she even right. caught Ethan because the two prostitutes confronted him like where's my money because Cameron didn't freaking pay them yeah. <laughs> and then she just sees him talking to two prostitutes and it's like you know fuck this
1: yeah yeah i'm gonna exactly. go
0: flirt with cameron now
1: right right exactly yeah it's like a one-upping of each other in a very toxic way you um,
0: see when i was going through it for the first time this week <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah going I through know. the second
1: season you mean yeah i was mm-hmm. like i
0: didn't know what was happening? Because I was like, "Is are Daphne and Cameron like trying to recruit Harper and or Ethan? Mostly Harper. Yeah. Like, what is happening right now? Yeah. But it wasn't like that. Cameron's just being himself. Creepy. Yeah, himself. <laughs> his <laughs> his creepy self.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of like power dynamics. Even I um, I think I was reading about how one of the sh- the shots of Cameron changing in front of Aubrey Plaza. I don't know if it's like the first, second episode. It's like early on. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. He like fully exposes himself while he's changing in front of her and she's like that was weird. You know, like you can see her character being like put off. Do you think that was on purpose? Well, that's the question is like was it a bit of like a um a power play to just to sort of like open the door for Ethan's wife to like start questioning if he's interested in her, if like there's something Plants you know. The seed. Yeah, like I think it it might have been and especially like knowing how sort of vindictive and, you know, sociopathic his character is, I feel like <laughs> he it would be pretty on brand, I think, for him to have done that intentionally with with malice.
0: It was most likely intentional.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think that this even though there's a lot of infidelity as a theme in the second season, I think it's also power, you know, like different ways of flexing power over the different characters. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Especially Cameron and Daphne.
1: Right. And Cameron and Ethan, I feel like are sort of like, it's mostly Cameron at the beginning, but then by the end, Ethan, Ethan. sort of is participating in that.
0: Against a fist fight.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like, supposedly, there's the shot of Ethan going off with Daphne into a...
0: I wanted to ask you about that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, like, he Ethan tells Daphne, like, you know, I think Cameron is doing stuff with Harper. Mm-hmm. Daphne is mad. And she's like, you know what? Let's go for a walk. And then they walk to a secluded cove island sandbar
1: it like fades away right it's like one of those blur shots again where she's it's ambiguous yeah
0: do you think they did anything i have my theory
1: i i do i think you think they, they okay yeah i do because
0: you're putting I mean, it all on black
1: i i don't know what else i mean well, they go to a secluded island together, and they're like zooming in on her face, like looking him up and down and stuff. Like I don't know how else it could be interpreted. I mean, I guess
0: Here's <laughs> they could have gone
1: theory. and chatted. I don't know. What do you? Here's think?
0: my theory. Because like I'm like okay, it's kind of like same thing with like when Ethan was investigating if Harper and Cameron were. Hooking up in their hotel room, yeah. Because like, as as he's walking to their hotel room, I'm like, this feels too set up. Like mm-hmm. it's our expectation to find them in bed with each other. Yeah, yeah. So too to subvert almost. it, it would be like they didn't do anything. So I'm like, it's probably where it's gonna go. So like with Daphne and uh, Ethan, I think they didn't do anything because it's huh. expected. You know, given. Her, like, getting back with, like, Cameron with, like, her personal trainer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the kids have blonde hair and blue eyes like the trainer does. Right.
1: Right. So it's, it's like,
0: like, it's set up like she's going to get what she wants. Yeah. But, like, I feel, and this is, like, the only evidence I can really put on Ethan's side that he didn't do anything, is that Ethan doesn't like to have sex at night in the evening and then the show but wasn't it
1: during the day but they went it was, it was sunset it was it, <laughs> it was, was funny though i feel like
0: the sun was setting it was all right, hour. all right
1: okay but I like mean... if he if
0: he did stuff with daphne i don't think he would want to do stuff with aubrey because i feel if like if he did anything with daphne he wouldn't be interested in doing anything with with harper i that's my reasoning
1: I don't know. It's hard because, like, you think you know Ethan as a character at the beginning and you're like, okay, he's this good guy. Like, he seems like he's
0: going on jogs.
1: Yeah, he's like, you know, off. relatively normal, not, um, not as sort Bondastic. of sadistic as, sadistic. yeah, vindictive, as, um, sadistic. Cameron. <laughs> so you're like kind of rooting for him, but I feel like by the end, he's like his um that sort of persona deteriorates like it's um it 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 reveals this very insecure version of himself that is more sort of like desperate to to feel like he's in control and like he's he has some power over his life like and i think as he feels like he's losing aubrey plaza do we know her name the character's name harper harper thank you as he feels like he's losing harper i feel like um, she, he sort of unravels and is clinging to anything that will make him feel better which is why i feel like which is why i feel like something happened with daphne because i think he's not as good of a guy as we initially thought him to be um but that was just that's my read on it. I'm
0: gonna say in season three, uh, Daphne's gonna return. They're gonna have an Asian looking baby.
1: Wait, they, is that real?
0: No, I'm I'm just theorizing. Oh, I thought <laughs> I thought you
1: had read that, and that's what you were saying. Um, she has another
0: kid, and I do want Daphne to Asian. come back.
1: I mean, Daphne for being married to like the worst human ever is actually like kind of a likable character mm-hmm. in a way. I feel like she she obviously has a sort of rudderless, like a uh, moral belief system, it seems, but like she does what she can to, to get, to get by and feel okay with her situation. Right. She's like a survivor almost, I think in, in a weird sort of fucked up way. Um, I do but,
0: think cause like Cameron and Daphne, I think they do like each other. They do yeah. love each other. they, they, they do. do.
1: In a weird way, they do.
0: And I think it, like, mirrors, uh, like, the DeGrasso's grandpa character, mm-hmm. the other family, because, like, he talked about, like, you know, he had the same thing, uh, uh, I guess, sexual addiction, like yeah. being unfaithful yeah. to his wife, and his wife knew. But at the end of the day, they both loved each other.
1: Right, right. So it's
0: kind of the same similar story going on, where it's like, even though... They're both well, in the DeGrasso's side. It's really the husband doing the bad things, but like yeah. Daphne and Cameron, even though they have their extracurricular activities, mm-hmm. they st- they still love each other. So it's like this really right. fucked up union, but they still deeply care about each other. It's it's very problematic.
1: <laughs> it is. And you can tell that he doesn't want to lose her, despite being so reckless and selfish. Like, you know, right? When um, Lucia asks for the money uh, while he's with Daphne, you can—he kind of like freaks out a little bit. I can't and be seen he,
0: talking to you in front of my wife.
1: Yeah, yeah <laughs> because he's in that moment, he's like, you know, protective over what he has with Daphne and doesn't want to lose it. Right. Um. So he does value their relationship in some way, um, you know, whatever, in whatever weird way that he can when, with his <laughs> limitations, of, you know, how his thought process works. But, um, I, yeah, it's, uh, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting relationship because they seem to enjoy each other despite everything like even she seems to enjoy him despite knowing that he is unfaithful and yeah it seems seems like her having a kid with her trainer helped in her mind even the playing field between them (laughs) which is wild
0: that is that's nuts
1: the show was is nice <laughs> the show this second season i thought was like just it was a so, new level
0: of depravity
1: it was a new level of unhinged i thought i was just like okay this is this is some of this feels like shock value um the Uncle indulgence yeah there was just a couple of tough times i was like all right we're it's just it's reached new heights where it's, it's harder for me to <laughs> i know it is hbo but even for hbo i was like I felt like they were relying too much on like the sex drugs, like thrill of, of it felt like low hanging fruit a little bit to me. Like
0: I'm not surprised because like, I feel like the white Lotus in like Mike White's point of view was like, mm-hmm. he's been like thinking about this, mulling it over, yeah. like trying to make this as good as possible, like solid six episode storyline.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: HBO was like, do it again.
1: Yeah, I know. That's what I thought too. He probably just was like kind of set up for, and it, obviously this isn't, this wasn't a, um, a bad season. It just wasn't as good. But I feel like it, he. It's like when people release album, their first album, and it's like fantastic, yes. and then the label's like, "All right, you got to do that again now." And they're like, "Wait, what? Like, yeah, I, I don't exactly. know how." So It's always
0: a sophomore record that yeah, isn't as good as the first exactly. one. And then they come back with the third one.
1: Yeah, usually they get, right. So we're going to see, and see, season two wasn't bad. Some people liked it more than the first season. I just didn't. I thought the first season was a bit more thoughtful and clever. And the second season relied a little bit more on like the shock value of what the, the depraved characters were yeah. doing.
0: Like season one was more introspective. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I watch it and I take something away and I meditate on it. Yeah. I think
1: about it. It's like how
0: does this affect me? And with season two, it was like drama.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Just nonstop drama.
0: Yeah. It was entertainment, you know.
1: It was. What did you think of the three generations of the um gosh. Degrasse. Yes, yes
0: uh multibene uh very good what was funny it was like one of the last shots of the season yes, yes. Where, I know where exactly where. the girl is walking i think to her gates
1: mm-hmm. and
0: the three generations of men in that yeah. family yeah. turn and look at her i just thought it was hilarious i'm like that
1: was a pretty good like <laughs> cinematic ending i felt like to close out their storyline um yeah, There's a lot
0: of happy endings and it warms my heart. Like, I'm not saying like the dad of the Degrassos is a great guy because he's not. No, no. But that family potentially has a happy ending. And it's like, oh, mm. that that warms my heart. Second chances because like he wanted that so bad because it was eating away at him. He like, was like, I just want my family to be restored. And hopefully he learned from his mistakes. And becomes a better father.
1: Right. To me, that family was like three generations of um, this sort of like belief system of women are sexual objects. But that belief manifests in very different ways. Like the grandfather is very overt about it and he's kind of creepy and he like hits on the young women all the time. Hey, sweethearts. Yes. Yeah, makes everyone uncomfortable. And then the <laughs> second generation, um, the father is more covert, like he's doing these things behind closed doors. He's having these affairs, and um even after, you know, getting in so much trouble with his wife for being unfaithful. Yes. He then hires Lucia and Mia, right, is the other is the other character. Yeah. Um, he hires both of them. And so clearly, like, he still has, but his is more, I think, shame filled, like it's more hidden. And then you have the youngest generation where. Albie. With Albie, I think he approaches women from a place of, I understand women. So, so I, so they have to like me.
0: Like, Like a white knight's
1: yes and he and he he does a condescending thing of like i he says at one point he likes women who are injured birds which is sort of like implying there's a power dynamic already like he wants to be their hero in some sense which is like not you know like most most women that i know anyway just you know like we want to be seen as equals and we want to be um treated just like a human being and not Uh, And so he's sort of like objectifying women in a different way that's not not quite as obvious as his dad or his grandfather. But I think he's looking at them as like, I'm I can help you or I can like heal you in some way and then you're going to like me and then I'm entitled to you in some sense.
0: Do you think it's on purpose, though? Or do you think that's just
1: I don't think any of them are on purpose. But I don't think any of those generations are maybe the great. I mean, it's probably (laughs) like I don't think any of them are like waking up and being like, I'm going to be really shitty to women today um, or for the rest of my life or whatever. And like it might Albies especially might be coming from a good place. But I think. Like
0: it's twisted.
1: Yeah. And I feel like it probably like there's this probably is relevant to. Um, I think like the, a lot of experiences that I hear about with, um, women who are my age and dating and stuff, it's like, this is not uncommon, I think for, for this sort of like approach of like a man being like, I understand women. I want equal rights for women. I, you know, like kind of can say all these things that, um, sound well-meaning and probably are well-meaning, but like ultimately kind of come from a place of like if I understand you then I then you have to like me and there's a difference right like there's obviously like you can feel it when a when a person is like kind of leading with just like empathy and wanting to understand your experiences as somebody who's like you know
0: it's the intent
1: right it's the intent intent? and then with trying to understand
0: are you trying to yeah weasel your way into the person's pants
1: exactly and he's kind of trying to like even with um portia he's trying to weasel his way into portia's pants by understanding her not just like understanding her as a human being not just understanding her for the sake of it um and i think it's off putting to portia because he comes off quite like condescending um, do you think
0: he's being disingenuous though, or do you think he's being genuine and it's just so off putting because it's yeah. like he I don't wanna say he's wearing the mask of a male feminist I think he is a male feminist, but right, like right it's i,
1: I think don't he's know. trying he's I
0: trying, th- but he's there's a goal' there's
1: I, don't a, know if the, I don't know i can't really i don't know, know either like genuine. I don't have the answers here. I just feel like there is a difference between understand try, trying to understand a woman's experience because you want to be better as a human being um better as a man and like just as a person and under and want versus wanting to understand the female experience so that it works to your benefit and that you can like sleep with them or, like, have them trust you more freely or, like, you know, th- those kind yes. of things. There is there is a difference between those two.
0: There's a game. It's a different type of game. And they we might see... not be
1: conscious of it. You know, like, he might not exactly. be conscious of it.
0: Exactly. Because, like, he's of a, a younger generation where it's more, you know, he was taught that overtly, yes. like, this yes. is how you treat women. This is, like, the power dynamics between men and women equal, all that stuff. And, like, we have, like, Cameron who... I'm gonna, for lack of the phrase, like his game is being like, uh, like broey, like kind of mm-hmm. like misogynistic,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: Alby's game is being compassionate,
1: mm-hmm. which is like ultimately a good. I mean, it's a good trait to have it is compassion. Good.
0: But it's like his intentions.
1: Right, he's using where... the
0: tool. He's using the tools in his toolbox, and the tools yeah. are, oh well, you know, the Godfather is very problematic <laughs> because like it normalizes how men yeah. treat women. It's like, like I-, I just thought it was a period piece, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's like at first when you hear that, you're like, oh yeah, that's impressive that he's you know like he's thinking about things mm-hmm. through that lens. But then as you get to know his character more, then you're like, oh yeah, my, actually, this might be sort of like a a um device if you will that he sort of like uses to his, his tool his advantage right um which changes that changes the, the everything sort of
0: i love how lucia and me it's mostly lucia completely played him
1: yeah played that was, him wild. Like a fiddle. <laughs> that was wild i definitely saw it coming did you see that coming
0: I had a feeling something was coming. I was like, I really hope she's being genuine with this guy because he seems so sweet.
1: Uh, And like she's in
0: a tough spot. And like by the end, it was all fabricated.
1: Oh, yeah. And
0: just I was like, oh, my God. She played him. She played him.
1: I feel like we again have glazed over Jennifer Coolidge in this season because I thought in this season she really shined. Like she she did. She the first was, season she
0: was weird and kind of like
1: she's still delirious.
0: She was yes. like deli- she didn't know like uh, what? I want a massage today. Yeah. And then this season she was like firing all cylinders.
1: She's all she's still problematic and she's still um uh selfish, but she was so funny as a character and even down to her death like <laughs> I'm, I was shocked. I felt, I felt. Me too. I texted Chelsea and I was like, "You need to watch this so we can talk about <laughs> <laughs> the way that this wrapped itself up was so jarring and wild, but like so on brand for her. You could do this to go down that way. I was, <laughs> my jaw was on the floor. I was. Um... And the thing
0: is, like, it was set up like uh, this eccentric gay man with his gay friends lured her into this yachts in the middle of the Ionian sea who is not completely telegraphed, but like her husband, I think is involved with them mm-hmm. either on a business level. I think it's more of a romantic level. <laughs> so yeah. his, so infidelity theme popping up again.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: like, so the mafia is going to like kill her off. And she kills everybody.
1: Yeah, that was also a bit of a reach for me. I was like, oh.
0: she had a gun.
1: She did get the gun. It was a little. I was like, is this realistic that she could have, you know, done this? M- I thought the captain was going
0: to kill her. To be honest,
1: yeah. Because I was... heard
0: some rumbling. I heard a shing. I was like, oh, he's got to get a knife.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> and they just thought... disappeared. The, yeah, that was a little far fetched for me. Um, just the the whole how that all went down. And just even like the fact that she found the bag with the rope and the gun just like hanging out in there so obviously. I was like, they didn't even try to hide this a little better, like um but but I mean I feel like it it turned into full satire at that at that point. Even when she died, it was like, all right, this is we're in a comedy now because it's just like all of this is just like so ridiculous and so we're insane. In and like, now. it was just and the way that she died. I was like, okay, this is, this is so goofy. Like she herself is so goofy. The death was like in such a goofy way. Like it was just wild.
0: The thing is, cause like she was going from what looked like, the main deck of this yacht, which is pretty high up. Mm
1: -hmm. She's
0: going to jump down to this uh, dinghy boat that's on the water surface. The thing is, at the back of the yacht, there's a ladder and a little, like, (laughs) ledge that's next to the boat. any other
1: way that she could have done that, that wouldn't have been...
0: You know, chalk it up to, like, she was panicking.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, I think he wanted to kill her character off, and he was like, well... (laughs) Let's Jennifer Coolidge
0: is too expensive to get on this show. Let's <laughs> let's get rid of her.
1: I think he, you know, she was the only one that stayed. I think he was like, she can't have a third season. Um but yeah. Character. <laughs> <laughs> she was um she was comedic relief, so I'm sad. I was sad to see her go.
0: So let's get off the fence. Who do you think could replace Jennifer Coolidge?
1: I don't know if anyone can replace Jennifer Coolidge. She's such a unique actress, and I know that Mike White built the character around her. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I don't know that I don't know if she could ever be replaced, but they probably he has to find some new character that can add levity to the season because it does. I don't think it's going to work as well if there's not um, a character that provides comedic relief to the you to know sort of content.
0: I, I think I have an actor. Nathan Lane.
1: Is this from Nathan For You? Wait, What's the, is the Nathan For You guy Nathan Lane or is that a different Nathan?
0: Uh, Nathan Lane plays Timon from The Lion King.
1: Oh, I don't know who Nathan Lane, like I don't think.
0: If you see him, you'll be like, oh, that
1: guy. Oh, uh, well, have you seen Nathan For You? No. that's another Nathan? That,
0: that's another Nathan?
1: Yeah, you should watch Nathan For You. I'll be very curious to see if you and Chelsea find that funny because my brother got me into it and um, it is it's a very specific kind of humor that could be interesting in White Lotus
0: now Nathan Nathan Lane's a legit actor uh, okay. he's very okay. flamboyant huh. and I think if you're going to add a comedic character it can't be someone too similar to Jennifer Coolidge because then it'd be like oh this is
1: they're trying to Copying, replace her. Yeah. It's yeah.
0: Like yeah. A, so it has to be someone that's can play a weird character, but mm-hmm. also kind of be completely different.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So like a, a dude, a flamboyant guy. It's like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is an interesting character. Cause like I was interested in, uh, the guy that plotted to kill Jennifer Coolidge's character. <laughs> yes. He, he's, he is he's interesting actor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's a funny actor. He's in a couple other things, too. He has a presence for sure.
0: He does. So I have to ask, will season two inspire your work since <laughs> <laughs> season one inspired your work?
1: Um, you know, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I feel like the thing is, my life is pretty anticlimactic. It's pretty balanced
0: it's not a white lotus
1: episode no so i do you know i i appreciate um the theatrical nature of white lotus and if there is a specific plot line in the next season that you know is particularly interesting to me maybe i'd try to try to pull some inspiration and, and write a song about it but i don't know season season one sort of the, the dynamic between the Rachel Shane characters just happened to fit a song that I was already working on. Season nice. two, I don't know if I could have, there was just that yeah. was a <laughs> well, I don't
0: know. Well, you, you explored divorce might as well explore infidelity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't, well, I mean like there's the the breakdown of even in the Make Me the Villain song, you know, the breakdown of a relationship it's not, it, the song isn't about something quite as dramatic as like you know infidelity especially like infidelity in the way that it's portrayed in the second season of white lotus but i feel like the there's a theme in the second season that i think um carries over from the first season which is that there's a feeling of like being unappreciated in a relationship I think like with Harper for example with Ethan like she doesn't feel like he's you know sexually attracted to her anymore and like doesn't feel like he wants her anymore so I think she doesn't feel you know wanted in that way doesn't really feel like fulfilled in that way and so the the make me the villain songs like there's a little bit of that in there like you know feeling like Like you even said, with the maturity of a relationship, sometimes I think people can take their significant other for granted or feel like they're being taken for granted. And um, I don't know if that's exactly what's happening with Harper, but I think there's some like shades of that a little bit um, with her not feeling, you know, just maybe loved by Ethan in the way that she wants to be.
0: There's a disconnect yeah, for them. sure,
1: for sure. Until yeah. the end, when they all cheat on each other and then it's happily ever after. It's
0: <laughs> uh, a great message, HBO. Yeah, yeah, that
1: was... Um,
0: even though I think he did not. That's my yeah, theory, and I'm I sticking mean, I, to it.
1: I hope he didn't. I hope he didn't.
0: That's a messed up friend group, let me just tell you.
1: Yeah, that was also the other thing. I was just like, why Why would you hang out with these people on Ethan's part? And I think they Harper said that. that
0: they tried not to at the end. Yeah, then I guess. And the camera's so.
1: like, oh, "What are we doing? Come on. We're going to leave."
0: <laughs> yeah. One last dinner.
1: Oh man. That was yeah, that was a it was a journey they took us on.
0: Yeah, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So last question. Would okay. you recommend the White Lotus to a friend? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget.
1: Yeah, I think so. I feel like it would probably depend which friend and what what their watching t- <laughs> preferences are, but um I think it's, you know, it's really entertaining. I think specifically the first season is just really clever and um I think there's just so many plot lines to to analyze. Um it I I enjoyed like even talking with Chelsea about it I enjoyed and um everyone's interpretation of the characters is different. So I think that's what's kind of cool about a show like this is creating these kind of complex, very flawed characters um, just sort of like encourages discourse and like, oh, yeah. you know, in a in a unique way. So I'd encourage my friends to watch it. I mean, some of them would probably be like, what the fuck, the fuck is this?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I feel like entertaining really entertaining shows. It there is a lot of entertaining. Oh yeah. Shit that goes down.
0: Oh yeah, especially in season 2.
1: Especially in season 2.
0: Like I would recommend it because like season 1 like holds up a mirror to society mm-hmm. in such a mm-hmm. unique exactly. and interesting way. Yes. And season 2 is like <laughs> now that we got you in, here's some crazy shit. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. You're just like what the hell just happened? There's so there's so many um little fires that are going on at once in season two. It's hard to keep up, but it is entertaining.
0: Right. Well, awesome. Maggie, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. I want people to listen to your music. Where can they find Hodge?
1: Thank you for having me. Um, You can find my music on any streaming platform at this point. It's on um, Spotify, Tidal, Apple Music, all of them. Um, And Hodge is just spelled like the word Hodge would usually be spelled, except there's a J. So it's H O D J E. Um, And yeah, I I appreciate you inviting me on. You're welcome. This was fun. Thank you.
0: Yeah, maybe you can come back when season three comes (laughs) out eventually. Yeah. Nice round table.
1: Yes. Yes. That sounds great.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Maggie. This was a blast.
1: Thank you again, Armand. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That's it for this time on The Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. Keep the conversation going by adding us on Instagram and Letterboxd at Syndicate. Or join the Discord server where you can catch Armand along other podcasters and listeners at syndicate.com slash discord. And until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye.